friends, you may be seated. Before we go too far, I want to acknowledge the flowers this morning, which are given in remembrance of Andrea Passmore and John Passmore, and in celebration of Susan and Richard Passmore's 58th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary and many, many more. Well, it is good to be with you all on this fifth Sunday after Pentecost. From our revised common lectionary for today, the gospel reading serves up one of the most familiar stories of all time, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem, and here we find a lawyer, a scholar, an expert in Jewish law testing Jesus. Unlike the attorneys of today, of course, this lawyer is looking for loopholes. Thanks for laughing. (laughs) Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him a parable. Many have heard this parable many times. We know the characters. We know how we are supposed to feel and what we are supposed to learn. But I wonder if we can set aside our preconceptions about the parable and listen anew to what God is doing through you right now. In case familiarity with the story is getting in in the way of hearing, I'll be reading our text from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Listen for the word of God. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? 
Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My first real memory of the parable of the Good Samaritan was a flannel board reenactment. My Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Alexander, would read the story, stopping at the appropriate times to allow the students to place the flannel characters in the appropriate places. The story excerpt went something like this. The man, a lawyer wanting to feel better about himself, asked Jesus who his neighbor was. To answer his question, Jesus told the man a story. Mrs. Alexander would then pause, allowing a student to place the lawyer and Jesus on the flannel board. Jesus always had a beard, a robe, and sandals. Mrs. Alexander continued, A man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Some thieves attacked him on his way. They beat him up, took everything he had, including his clothes, and left him to die on the road. Pause, while a student placed the man horizontal on the side of the road. While he was lying there half dead, a priest, a religious leader, came along. Flannel priest appears. When the priest saw him, he went to the other side of the road to pass by. Flannel priest gets moved to other side. A while later, a Levite, another religious leader of the time, came along. Another religious figure appears on the flannel board. When the Levite noticed the man, he looked at him and also passed by on the other side of the road. Levi gets moved to other side. Finally, a Samaritan man came along. The Samaritan people were not liked by the people in the surrounding areas. Even in flannel, the Samaritan looks different and he was placed near the man lying down on the side of the road. The Samaritan saw the injured man and felt bad for him. He decided to help the man. Kids love to hear stories and look at colorful pictures, and the moral of the story, of course, was to be like the Samaritan and to help people whenever you can. A few years later, the parable of the Good Samaritan flew right off that flannel board and became real to me in an unexpected way. A young woman was driving on Dog Corners Road with excessive speed. It was a gravel road and had unexpected curves. The young woman misjudged the curve in the road due to excessive speed and somersaulted in her car landing in a ditch with the wheels facing up. By now, it was nighttime. Those country roads were not well kept, nor were they lined with street lights, which left the young woman in a very dark place. Who would find her? Who would help her? She was alone, frightened, and, dare say, without a cell phone in those days. Time passed, and a couple of cars drove by, but did not stop. But alas, a police car came by later and slowed down. Apparently, someone who drove by earlier and noticed the wheels facing up 
had gone home and called 911. Jaws of Life was activated to the scene and pulled the young woman out of the car, which was tightly packed in the ditch and totaled. The Good Samaritan, who called 911, was Ralph Yale. He was the owner of a tow truck company and later came to the accident site with his tow truck. Yale pulled my dad's car out of the ditch and towed it to my backyard, per my dad's instructions, so the driver could remember what happens when you drive too fast. I was 16 years old. Over the years, I believe that I have played most of the characters in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I suspect that most of you have as well. Most of us have, at one time or another, played the role of the lawyer, testing Jesus, looking for loopholes, trying to get Jesus to explain the secrets of life. Most of us have, at one time or another, played the role of the priest or Levite. We see a car with a flat tire on the side of the road. The driver is standing outside the car, looking desperate for help, but we pass by. Oh, we're not bad people, but the rules of society tell us it's not safe to help strangers. And besides, they have a cell phone, so they can call 911. We may want to be a good Samaritan, but there is just so much need. We get overwhelmed by suffering and pain. So many homeless people, so many requests for money, food, shelter, clothing. And so many faces that cry out for help. It is hard to know how or who to help, or if it's even safe. Sometimes we don't bother asking how we might help due to fear and anxiety, or to avoid the possibility that we might hear a voice that demands more of us. Like my first day of serving as a hospital chaplain. Actually, I was a student chaplain and had just gotten my badge, which said CHAPLAIN in all caps. It was my first day on duty and was reporting to my supervisor for instruction. I had just stepped into the elevator in the hospital and was pushing button number four when the woman standing in the corner said, Excuse me. I said, What floor? Thinking that she needed a different floor. The woman said, I see you are a chaplain. The nurse just called me at work, and my father has died. Could I bother you to go with me to see my father? It was literally one minute before my very important and required meeting with my supervisor, since it was my first day reporting for duty as a chaplain. Furthermore, I had never visited with a patient before, let alone a dead one. So I became anxious and fearful. We didn't carry cell phones back then, so I began to worry how will my supervisor respond if I'm late? But the woman was visibly shaken. I could take her to the nurse's station and pass her off to the nurse on duty. But she asked me to go with her. Was my meeting more important than her father's death? 
This impromptu meeting in the elevator was one of those life lessons that, for me, shed light on the meaning of the parable. On the road to Jericho, in this case, I was in an elevator. I could have said, I'm sorry, but I have an important meeting. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because there are real reasons why we don't stop to help people. Mine seem kind of silly now, but in the moment, I can assure you that I was experiencing my own anxiety and fear, all the while debating with myself about what I should do. At the time, I didn't know how to handle death. They didn't teach me that in seminary. There are a lot of things they didn't teach us in seminary. And yet, and yet, I heard that still, small voice. Go. Remember, you're a chaplain now. Go and do likewise. The road to Jericho is always with us, and I suspect that the reason this parable is so well known is that it speaks to our lives in a way that we can all continue to learn something from this story. Over the years, we learn life lessons, and the scriptures begin to come alive. They aren't just flannel board stories anymore. As we engage a very familiar parable today, and one that we grapple with in real life, I want us to consider what vulnerability plays in the story, not only as individuals, but also as the church. When we are vulnerable, or when we are in need, when we are in crisis, we can't always be choosy about who we will accept help from. Vulnerability can lower our defenses and help us to see beyond our prejudices. In her book, Daring Greatly, research professor and author Brene Brown describes vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's that unstable feeling we get when we step out of our comfort zone or do something that forces us to loosen control. While some think that vulnerability is a sign of weakness, Brown's research shows that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Though you may feel uncomfortable while serving others, you're also opening yourself up to the possibility to learn new skills and make new friends. Hanging upside down in a seatbelt, I really didn't care who would stop and help. It did not have to be a priest or Levite or elder or deacon. Who will help me? Somebody, please stop and help me, anybody. When I saw the lights coming down the road, I reached my hand up through the window and waved, help, help. Vulnerability at its best, right? And I think one of our struggles as a church is that we sometimes think we know what's best, or we somehow lose touch with the world around us in which we are called to serve. In our text for today, the man is half dead, which is still alive. Luke describes him as having wounds. The Greek word means trauma. 
We should be concerned about those who are left half dead. And embracing vulnerability may just be the key to go and do likewise. In the parable, after the priest and Levite passed by the other side, the audience would have expected the third person to be an Israelite. But Jesus and his parables are different. Instead of the Israelite, the person who stops to help is a Samaritan. The Samaritan shows compassion. And the word used here means something that hurts you in your gut, that causes you to do something about it. Like the Samaritan, we too should have compassion. And thankfully, we have good Samaritan laws to protect people who aid accident victims. But in Luke's day, we have to remember that Samaritans were the enemy. And the Jewish listeners may not have welcomed help from a Samaritan. A good Samaritan back then did not exist. In other words, there were no good Samaritans, only bad Samaritans. We all think that a Samaritan is a charitable or helpful person. But at the time of Luke's writing, Jews despised Samaritans as untrustworthy heretics. And the feeling was mutual. In chapter 9, right before our parable, Luke includes the fact that a Samaritan village refused to receive Jesus. But, plot twist, in the parable, Jesus explains what the Samaritan did. He bandaged the man's wounds, brings him to an inn, and makes arrangements for him to be cared for. Professor of New Testament and Jewish Studies, Amy Jill Levine, invites us to consider ourselves as the person in the ditch, and then ask, is there anyone from any group about whom we'd rather die than acknowledge she offered help or he showed compassion? Levine goes on, is there any group whose members might rather die than help us? If so, then we know how to find the modern equivalent for the Samaritan. End quote. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the ditch, we learn who our neighbors are. Sometimes the people we think will help us let us down. When we are in trouble, God often helps us in ways we never expect. In Psalm 25, the psalmist reminds us of God's character. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. The divine attributes described here continue to characterize our merciful, kind, and loving God. And God's grace is forever. Friends, this is good news. Today and every day, we have a choice. We can be a priest, a Levite, or a Samaritan. We can choose to follow in the footsteps of our great healer. Jesus put it this way. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And Jesus is still asking this question today. He's asking us to open up to others, to be vulnerable with those who are different, 
to go beyond our narrow social, cultural, ethnic, and economical boundaries and bridge the gap. Friends, let's bridge the gap. And to look to God to help us in ways that we might least expect. The lawyer couldn't say the word Samaritan, but Jesus didn't push it. Friends, there is someone who needs you right now. Let's embrace that vulnerability and go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.